Infinity, eternity, what comes to mind? An endless series of events, the cosmos, God himself? In the Bible, God is described as eternal, without beginning and without end. The true in Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are eternal alone. Nothing that God in three persons has created has this timeless and eternal essence. God and God alone is eternal and everlasting. What God has made reminds us of his eternal quality. But nothing that he has made is eternal in the same way that he alone is eternal. In a universe without God, however, secular naturalistic interpretations of the cosmos recognize that it is quite difficult to describe our universe without reference to something eternal or infinite. What many secular scientific theories propose is really no more than borrowing the concept of God's eternity and suggesting that either our universe has always existed or that whatever caused our universe to exist has always existed. It is a worship of the created thing rather than the creator. On part two of our discussion with astronomer and author Dr. Jason Lyle, we talk more about the infinite and eternal attributes of God and how naturalism fails to explain our universe and the wondrously infinite designs found in nature and in the fractals of the Mandelbrot set. Be sure to check out part one of our conversation with Dr. Lyle if you have not already. Why does all the wonder and beauty of our universe remind us of infinity and eternity? That is precisely the way God designed it to be. The heavens and everything they contain point us toward the glory of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So come and see on this episode of Good Heavens. Um, let's get into this idea of infinite because this comes up a lot in your book, but it also comes up in secular cosmologies as well as I'm sure you're aware. The idea of, I think Sean Carroll in uh, 2014 when he was debating William Lane Craig uh, brought up this idea that he he did a Google search and came up with I think 17 different what he called eternal uh, models of the cosmos, and a lot of cosmological models today construct ideas about an infinite set of universes or an infinite set of multiverses or eternal sets and things like that because, and, and your book is kind of helpful for having me, giving me a bigger picture as a layperson about this, uh, that, that mathematically we can have infinite sets, but that doesn't mean that this infinity transfers to uh, an infinite set transfers into physical reality. So it seems like right. a lot of astronomers that are secular that don't have a Christian paradigm in mind posit the idea philosophically, metaphysically, of infinite sets actually existing. Um, but that's not physically possible. How do, you, how do you see this and what you've done here? How does this inform your, the discipline of astronomy as you see it from a Christian perspective? There is a connection because we do find fractal-type shapes in nature, including spiral galaxies. Those are very similar to the double spirals that you find yeah. in the double spiral valley in the Mandelbrot set. Yeah. But there's a distinction because physical fractals do not go, do not repeat forever. Mandelbrot set, as far as we know, it does. You can you can zoom in on the baby and the baby baby and so on. You can do that for the rest of your life. And there are certain um, 
computer animations. You can you can look these up on the internet. You know, massive deep zooms on the Mandelbrot set where they zoom in by, you know, a, you know, a Google or something, and it's it's incredible. But um, in the physical universe, fractals eventually stop because eventually you get down to the level of atoms. Atoms are not fractal; they're mm. you can approximate them by a sphere. But um, so there is a limit in terms of the physical universe. Is that now? Is it? What about? Is it infinite the other way? Does it, does the fractal nature continue infinitely? On the larger scales, and the answer is no, nobody knows, other than God, mm-hmm. because right now we can we can only see galaxies so far, and uh, but you know the next bigger telescopes invented, and they keep finding a next farthest galaxy. Do the galaxies end at some point, or do they extend infinitely? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are different arguments for each. We don't really know. Mm. Uh, some secular astronomers have proposed that our universe is one of an infinity of universes, and one of the one of the motivations for that is because our universe appears to be incredibly well designed for life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you change certain fundamental constants just a little bit and atoms aren't possible anymore. And therefore biological life like ourselves is not possible. Right. So how is it that our universe happened to get it just right from an atheistic perspective? They'd say, well, perhaps uh, there's an infinite number of universes and we just happen to live in the one that got it right. And so there's not life in these other Universes. I think that's actually a form of the gambler's fallacy. Hmm. It would be like, um, you know, you flip a coin and it lands heads up 10 times in a row. And so you conclude, well, there must be an infinite number of other people doing this experiment where it doesn't land 10 times up in a row. <laughs> right. Whereas I think a more rational conclusion would be, no, the game is rigged. Yeah. Take a look at your coin. It's double It's double headed. Yeah. Right. Um, something like that. Right. So I don't believe in, 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 in any more than this universe. And by the way, it's scientifically impossible to test for the existence of other universes. Mm-hmm. Because, you, you know, science involves testing by observation and experimentation. You cannot observe or experiment on another universe. If you could, it wouldn't be another universe. Yeah. Because it would have to be part of ours in order for us to, yeah. to know about it. So the only rational basis we could have for other universes is if God told us about them. Because mm. God's sovereign over all right. truth. And he hasn't. So I'm inclined not to believe in, in other universes. Right. But it's not a scientific concept in any case. Yeah, it and seems... whether our own universe is infinite, infinitely big, that's that's an open question. God could do that. Yeah. But he's not required to. Right. And it, as you say, anything observational from our perspective, our best telescope, if they ever get James Webb off the ground, anything that we see, physically that we see, uh, it, to me it would be hard to distinguish between uh, boundary universes. You know, you can see this on paper. Uh, with uh, several cosmological models, they draw bubbles and pictures on computer graphics of, of these things. And theoretically, I could understand this, but but visually, how would you ever visually uh, hone in on a, a border between universes and say that's another universe? You know, and so it, it remains. And a, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Sarah Salviander, who studies black holes, she's a Christian. She's in our book that we came out a couple of years ago. Um, she she's talks her her talk her expertise is black holes and she talks about the boundary conditions in, in black holes and just and these are things that we can see and you know there's this thing as you know called the event horizon where we can't really see beyond uh or or know really what goes beyond uh these these things in the center of our galaxy these are things we can quote see we just saw uh, just the discovery recently of i don't know how they determined this but the back of a black hole, uh, the light, mm-hmm. you know, and it seems like Einstein's theory was was once again validated uh, in mm-hmm. this regard. Um, so we're, but but even in the things that we see, Jason, it seems like there, there's a tremendous mystery about uh, about what we can observe. Black holes still remain an enigma for all that we do know about them. Where does the 
information go that gets destroyed in a black hole and that's a whole nother discussion but but i think that the, the 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 whole point of what i'm saying here is that it seems like there's a huge difference between observational astronomy um like what we see with what we can actually see with our best equipment and theoretical cosmology which seems more like mandelbrot set making the math can give us these structures it may be mathematically logical right but we don't visually see these things through through hubble and it seems like there's a there's a great rift between theoretical cosmology and observational astronomy because i was just reading uh not long ago dr sean carroll who just came out with his book uh the the uh something deeply hidden right and he he affirms hugh everett's uh strange theory that our universe is a wave function that was collapsed, which leaves, begs the question of who collapsed it. And, and, but then multiple universes, multiple worlds where you and I are having this conversation and you're doing the interview and I'm the, the, the author or, you know, we're, we're creatures. And, you know, there's a, a multitude of ourselves, the doppelganger idea. Uh, and it's, so it just seems like the more I read of cutting-edge theoretical cosmology, the more it's sounding like people are saying these Mandelbrot sets, if you will, exist, really exist out there, though we can't see them. And uh, it seems to just be so broken off from actually what we're observing in the astronomical physical astronomy. Would you say that that difference is great and significant? Yeah, I mean, there, there is a, there, certainly mathematical truths can be applied to the physical universe. Yeah. That in itself, I would argue, is a powerful argument for the Christian worldview. That's yes. something that's discussed in the book. Right. But that doesn't mean that there has to be a one-to-one correspondence for everything we find in math to everything we find in the physical universe. Great point. That's two-dimensional. Yeah. So if if the you know if the universe were just math, it would be two-dimensional because mm-hmm. uh, n- numbers are numbers are two-dimensional. I should I should say it that way. I mm-hmm. should say math is numbers are two-dimensional. Um, we can use things like vectors to apply mathematics to three dimensions or four or five or or infinity. There's Hilbert space where you have an infinite number of dimensions. So we can we can do these things. But the physical universe has three dimensions of space, one of time. Uh, if you believe certain quantum physics models, maybe there's some other hidden dimensions. Uh, most most of them don't get beyond ten or eleven anymore. Mm-hmm. But um, in any case, so you know, just because some, something can happen mathematically doesn't mean it has to happen physically. Just because something can happen physically doesn't mean it has happened. And so, I mean, I can propose alternate versions of history. Where, <laughs> you know, where right. you know, I can explain the United States by inventing a fictional history. That doesn't make it so. Right. And, right. and a lot of these uh, models of, of cosmology, uh, cosmogony, made mainly yeah. where how the how the universe came to be the way that it is today. It's like, well, that's an interesting story, but that's one of, of many. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, as a Christian, I, I have a record. I have a historical record of the birth of the universe. It, gives, it doesn't give a lot of details, but it gives some. Mm-hmm. And so I can tell you something about the age of the universe. I can tell you something about the order of creation because the Creator Himself witnessed that. Yeah. Um, but but my, my secular colleagues they lo- they enjoy speculating on the past and you know okay but that's 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 all it is it's yeah. speculations on the right, past right right some of which fit the data some of which don't right well I I read I don't know where this quote came from it's not mine and it claimed no originality it was a quip it sounds like G K Chesterton but it may be I don't know but it stuck with me and I think it's true no matter who said it that uh, no man can create a universe no man can create a habitable universe. Right. Because and and the other thing is, too, is I noticed that I've never seen a universe that doesn't have intelligence behind it. Every model of the cosmos, Jason, as you know, requires intelligence. Right. Whether we're building computer models, we're drawing drawings. uh, There's a J. Richard uh, 
J. Richard Gott, I think, who's a cosmologist, he, he has this wonderful little, it looks like a Shekinah, it looks like a lamp or something of the cosmos, an infinite looping lamp with horns. And even his, he said his wife said it looked like something out of a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> and so no matter how imaginative, though, as cosmogony, which deals with the origins of the universe, no matter how imaginative or creative or let's say even mathematically logical on paper, um, doesn't necessitate into these things, uh, Dr. Gott's actual horn thing, uh, actually existing in, in physical reality. Uh, as you say, there's many speculative mathematical models that don't necessarily transfer in, into physicality. I, and I find, and you, I'm sure you agree, a lot of the secular science, and Paul Davies has said this, you know, one of the reasons that we came up with the multiverse was to get rid of God, right? That that that, that seems to be. I can't say that about all cosmologists. There's probably a lot of astronomers who say I don't care. <laughs> you know, God exists. Great, if not great, but there are some who peddle this idea that that my physics does away with your God. It's 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 interesting because I would argue the the exact opposite. I would argue physics is only possible because of the biblical God. Yeah. One one aspect, critical aspect of science is uh, the fact that it's that, that you can do something under certain conditions you get a certain result if you do it again under sufficiently similar conditions you'll get a similar result mm-hmm. repeatability that's a, that's a cornerstone of science that presupposes an underlying uniformity in nature not that conditions are always the same but if the conditions are the same you get the same result mm-hmm. and that makes perfect sense in a christian worldview because God upholds the universe in a consistent fashion. He's promised us that he would do that in places like Genesis 8:22. Mm-hmm. He promises that the basic the basic cycles of nature, he refers to the seasons and the day and night cycle, they will continue as long as the earth remains. So until judgment day, we're going right. to have certain cycles that we can rely upon what today we would probably call laws of nature, the underlying mm-hmm principles that don't arbitrarily change. Granted, God can do a miracle, but that would be temporary, and then things would go back to the way they were before. And uh, the interesting thing is there isn't any secular basis for uniformity in nature. There isn't any at all. That's right. And and, uh, a lot of people have thought that they could uh, justify uh, uniformity by appealing to how it's worked in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, how is it that we can use past experience to guide our future endeavors? I would argue because there's an underlying uniformity. We have a promise from God that there's a certain stability. So so the way gravity worked yesterday is the way it's going to work today and the mm-hmm. way it's going to work tomorrow mm-hmm. because that's a basic unchanging property mm-hmm. that God upholds in a consistent fashion. Yeah. But my secular colleague, if I ask him how do you know gravity will work tomorrow, he can't, he can't really answer that. The best answer they can give is he can say, well, it worked yesterday. I say, I'll grant that, but how do you know it's going to work tomorrow? Yeah. They'll say, well, yeah, but, but uh, you know, Several days ago, when I trusted it would work tomorrow, it did. I said, "I'll grant you that." But how do you know it's going to work tomorrow? Right. <laughs> you see, it doesn't. It doesn't. It begs the question it, to say because in the past the future was like the past. Mm-hmm. In the future, the future will be like the past. Right. Unless you already assume the future will be like the past. Right. And because there's no way to get around that outside of revelation from God, God's beyond time, and so He yeah. knows the end from the beginning, and He's revealed some of that to us he's revealed that he will uphold things in a consistent fashion he's in a position to know he's the one that's doing it absolutely and he doesn't change he doesn't lie so we can we can take that to the bank right but in a secular worldview there's no reason to expect that the sun will rise tomorrow and and david hume the secular philosopher was utterly stumped on that issue yeah he he said we all know the sun's going to rise tomorrow he says but how philosophically do i justify that belief and from his mm. secular perspective, the answer was he couldn't. That's amazing. That, that, that's truly amazing. And one of the things, you know, just on a personal note, I love um, this time of year as we're entering into to late summer, early fall. And one of my favorite astronomical phenomena, uh, Jason, is the heliacal rising of Orion. You know, it's just <laughs> so hopeful for me because, it. you know, I know 
you know, I don't want to get into Gospel of the Stars because I don't, I don't have anything in that. But it, it, the, the, the constellations remind me of God's glory. And so I just, a personal applicability when I see, you know, the giant Orion coming out of the ground before sunrise slowly. I, I can't help but think of God's, as you say, the faithfulness of the seasons. It's, it's fall is coming. Orion is arising uh, before the sun. Fall is on its way. This is going to happen every August as long as Jesus tarries. And, and and the heavens don't start shaking and falling apart. This is going to happen year after year. And it reminds me, what does he say in Jeremiah 30, 31? Um, my covenantal promises to you, which he's prophesying of Christ, are, are as faithful as what he says, the fixed order of the cosmos. Order, that, that, yeah. that this is not going away, like I said in Genesis. This is this is not going away. As long as, 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 as this exists, this will be the case. And so stargazing for me, Jason... Reminds me of God's faithfulness. No matter how I feel about the stars, uh, even if I can't see them on a cloudy night, or even if light pollution, uh, which is, there's wonderful metaphorical truths about light pollution and the glory of God, but uh, even when I can't see those things, I know mm-hmm. that they're there. And then when the skies clear out, whoosh, uh, man, it's fantastic uh, how beautiful uh, the glory of God is. And I'm, I'm like you. I'm, I'm very envious of, you know, what did Abraham see when the Lord took him outside? What did, what did a pure, dark, ancient Near Eastern sky look like uh, to Abraham? Count the stars if you're able, Abraham, right? So there in Genesis 15, 5, we have Yahweh uh, asking, sort of Mandelbrot setting the cosmos. You can't count all this stuff, Abraham. This is, this is an infinite, and to your finite mind, it might as well be infinite. And Abram's like, count the stars, you know, and, you know, to us, there's only about, what, three to 5,000 stars visible uh, to the naked eye in a very dark sky. Um, yep. but, uh, but that suggestion is wonderful because it talks about your descendants will be like this, Abraham, as, as innumerable as the sand and as innumerable as the stars. Uh, God's faithfulness and his glory are revealed in the heavens. And so I think your Mandelbrot set is just reminding me of all this stuff. You know, it's not yours, but, but, but this book is, is just another confirmation for me of, of the glory of God and the physicality and the, the regularity and the infinite goodness of our creator. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Really it is. Um, And uh, so Something else in your book that that I wanted to to address um, as people go through this and uh, and look I mean the the pages the colors now something about the colors you you mentioned this throughout the book but something about the colors of the design uh, you you alluded to this earlier that uh, there's light and dark but but the shading the shading has nothing to do with the mathematics per se correct this was all sort of uh, well the color the the color scheme. Um, we choose. So, in other words, if a um, if if you run it through the formula, and after seven iterations it escapes, what color do we assign to seven? Gotcha. I get to pick that. Okay. But okay. Um, once once you pick that, the shading is determined by the laws of mathematics. So the yeah. exterior of the Mandelbrot is is still an aspect of mathematics. It's just the the color scheme I get to pick. Okay. Okay. Um, and on a technical level, I know we've been talking about astronomy and everything. What in this particular equation, does this have any other relevance? How, what other relevance would this have in reality for us that this z squared plus c? Uh, is this functional uh, for more than just, oh, look at this p- pretty design? Or is, the, is there something like, in other words, is this just aesthetically, is this just an aesthetic of God's design? Or does this have functionality beyond making beautiful books? 
as far as we know, it has no practical application. <laughs> that's amazing. And that's something that, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, it, it may, it, it may turn out to have practical application. Yeah. And, and some people have suggested, well, maybe in terms of uh, if, if, um, encoding information in the more efficient fashion, or in terms of encryption, you could use, you could use something like a Mandelbrot to encrypt something. But as far as we know, they're just, they're just gorgeous. They're, they're just, just part of something that God put into mathematics for us to enjoy. And that's, you know, a lot of times when I talk to skeptic friends about mathematics and science and all that stuff, it seems to come down to what is purely utilitarian, that this idea of beauty to a skeptic is dismissed as subjective. Um, but we are subjects, but, but beauty, everybody knows intuitively what is beautiful. I think there are very few people that would disagree with a beautiful sunset on a beach in Hawaii or something like that. Um, yeah. We all marry people we think are beautiful. Um, and, and, but beauty is multifaceted, I think, because if God is multifaceted, his beauty will be multifaceted. And, um, and, and, but anyway, it seems that, that utilitarianism or pragmatism really is the, the bottom line. What use is this to me? Um, there's that famous uh, story. This, well, one of the stories in the C.S. Lewis in the in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, one of my favorite stories, where they're on the Dawn Treader and they're going on an adventure, and the captain is they're about to go into this black void they call Dark Island or something like that, and and he's like, "What's the use in going into that?" And the little mouse Reepicheep says, "Use, Captain. Use. I didn't think we were in this to 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 swell our our our, our uh, you know our reputation or our purses, uh, but it's for honor and adventure. And so this idea, this wonderful idea that God designs things for His glory and just because they're beautiful, seems to be a very powerful argument for Christianity. Because I can't imagine, Jason, that." just looking at something that is inherently beautiful and you know it and you're struck by the beauty of stargazing, whatever the case may be, that, that, that this is just stripped down to, well, what use is that to me? I don't, I have my phone. I don't need to navigate by the stars. What, what use is that to me? Oh, you know, but, but I I think I've heard this argument lots, lots of times before. God just didn't put us in a sterile universe. He made it beautiful for a reason. How do you, how do you see beauty as an argument for Christianity? You know, it's it's uh, it's hard to articulate, and that's why I tend not to. I think that's all true. I think everything you said is true. I, I don't think beauty has a, a real explanation in a secular worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an it's some it's some aspect of God, but because it's hard for me to articulate, you know, what, how do you define yeah. beauty? Yeah. And but nonetheless, um, there there is you know, and, and granted, some people will find certain things attractive. There is some su- subjectivity to it, mm-hmm. but I think if I, I I've never shown one of these fractals to a person and had them go. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, <laughs> everybody looks at it yeah. and they say, oh, "That's that's amazing. That's right, beautiful." So right. there is there is some there is some universality to beauty as well, mm-hmm. and I think it reflects God's nature in some way. I can't tell you exactly what that way is. God's non-material, so he we, he doesn't have a visible appearance. Uh, he can make himself visible, obviously, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but um, it, it, beauty reflects God's nature in some way. It's, it's some aspect of his character that is wonderful. It's an aspect of his character that, because we're made in God's image, uh, we have some capacity to enjoy uh, beauty. And so, it, and it's something that, it's, it's a, just a little bonus that God gave us. Right. I, I, I wrote an um, a article not too long ago on our website at the Biblical Science Institute on color and color vision and things like that. And, uh, you know, you could really, aside from, certain very unusual situations where maybe a berry of a certain color is poisonous and another one isn't 
But aside from situations like that, there's not a lot of practical value in us having color vision. You can get along perfectly well with grayscale. Mm-hmm. Color just seems to be something that God gave us just to enrich our lives. Yeah. And again, that's something that makes sense in a Christian worldview, and it really doesn't make a whole lot. I'd, I'd find that difficult to justify in an evolutionary worldview right. where everything has to have survival value. Right. Uh, color vision might have just a little bit of survival value, but not much. It's well, just, it, it enhances our life. Any any kind of evolutionary explanation for color, Jason, as you know, I mean, so much of that literature is ad hoc, right? You could, you could, you could make a, this is like what you said earlier, you can make a history uh, of, of of an evolutionary justification for why things are red, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if a poisonous snake is red and a strawberry is red on an evolutionary scale, I mean, I, you'd you'd have to make something up as to why we ate that one and ran from that one, right? Yeah. I mean, it it's just it's just ad hoc. Um, but I think you know, light is everything. You know, God is light. God is love. And uh, so the the multifaceted, you know, I have colored lights in my bookshelf for that very reason, the aesthetic quality of color. And uh, one of the fun things I love to do about my interview, I know it's a silly and trivial, but you brought it up, is is it making the picking the color for my interview <laughs> of, the, okay. of the lights in the background? You know, it's something silly, but I enjoy it. I love the, there's certain times of day, there's certain lights in the sky that literally, like in the morning or the evening, the light in the sky literally lifts my mood. I love twilight and I love sunrise and I love the stars coming out. There's, there's a certain aspect of the color of the sky that is just so wonderful. Um, but you know, you have Joseph with a coat of many colors. You have, you have the, the light, the, the pure brightness of Jesus as he's revealed in revelation. You have so many wonderful facets of light in there. But one thing I'll tell you on a personal level, you know, you think this is beautiful and wonderful. And this struck me as, as I'm listening to you express these things, the Psalm 139 came to mind, um, about your book and and Jesus says or David says many are the thoughts that you have toward me God that I can't count the sum of them and and so as you probe the the infinity the infinitude of these of these mandelbrots as you if you get online and you go through these dots or you look here on the on the screens that we've we've shown as you're plunging into the infinity of the mandelbrot set I'm just thinking you know wow God has this many thoughts about me you know, and I, I stop short of thinking, oh, God is just unhappy with me. That's just one thought, right? God is always unhappy with me. Or, boy, God, I blew it. You must be mad at me. That, that I'm only thinking in terms of binary. God is either pleased or he's not pleased. I forget, and your, the Mandelbrot set reminded me of this, of the depths of God's thoughts toward me, toward us. It can be very applicable in recognizing that God has more thoughts toward us uh, than we have about ourselves, that he's infinitely mercy, merciful, infinitely gracious, uh, thinking of us before the foundation of the world and giving us reminders that we will be with him forever. You know, we we have an infinite amount of time to enjoy uh, our creator. Yeah, and I hope that's one of the things that, that uh, people take away from the book is uh, what a mind, yes. what a mind the Lord has right. to be able to think, you know, because God knows every spiral in in every valley of every seahorse of every every hair on my head what hair remains yeah yeah Yeah, but those are you know it's that's finite it's a lot but it's finite (laughs) right right uh, right but in the you know the god knows infinite amount of information and that's that's mind-blowing to me and that's Mm -hmm. that's why i find infinity such a wonderful concept and and it's related to eternity could you know infinite in time and god's put eternity in our hearts according to the scriptures so there's we we have this sense of the infinite because uh, we know God in our mm-hmm. heart of hearts. He's revealed himself to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And being made in his likeness and image, as Genesis says, that mm-hmm. we cannot help but engage 
even the best cosmologists, even the best cosmology has to deal with infinites and eternality. I mean, the concept is unavoidable. If you want to get rid of God, you still haven't, you still haven't dealt with infinity and eternity. It seems like you try to remove God, but you're still left with this infinite puzzle, this eternal puzzle. God does not easily, God is not easily torn from the fabric of space-time as, as simply as people would like to see, because I see the word eternity and infinity coming up all the time. Um, but I think that's because we are created in the image of knowledge of God, and that is exactly, I think, Jason, and uh, one of the invisible attributes that Paul says in Romans 1, that we know. We all conceivably, you know, we all do know uh, God's invisible attributes. One of them is eternality and, you know, infinity. And your book really does a wonderful job of giving us a visual reminder of God's infinite everything, his infinite love, his infinite mercy, his infinite grace. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, final thoughts on the Mandelbrot. What, what, I know you, you kind of already alluded to what you hope people will walk away from this. Um, some some uh, things that you've encountered as you've presented this to people. What are some of the reactions, and, and how do you find this edifying the body of Christ? Uh, the, the, usually, the reaction is wow, <laughs> um, especially when I when I because I do presentations on this, and in the presentations I I can use videos and zoom yeah. in on sections of the Mandelbrot set, so you can actually see it. Uh, you can see it zooming in. You see this little baby version, and it's like I had no idea that this was built in the mantle. Like, yeah, nobody did before 1978. Nobody knew this was there, mm. and, uh, and and so it's it's a it's a new universe for us to explore. It's a universe that I would argue only makes sense in, in a in a Christian worldview, not just a theistic worldview, a Christian theistic worldview, because the the particular uh, characteristics of God, as described in the Bible, in terms of Him revealing Himself to us, the fact that He is infinite, His thoughts are infinite. As the heavens are higher than the earth, his ways higher than our ways, and so on. His thoughts higher than our thoughts, and yet we're made in God's image, and so we have we have the capacity to think in a limited sense some of God's thoughts after Him, and that's why we find these things beautiful. They reflect they reflect God's nature, they reflect His mind. Um, there is a discussion of okay, what are, in the book? There's a discussion of what are the alternatives? How would somebody who has a secular worldview try to account for this? Mm-hmm. And I, I claim that there really isn't any rational. Um, explanation for that. I go through some of the possibilities and say, yeah, but when you examine that, it doesn't really work because, you know, if it was just, if it was man-made, then it would it certainly wouldn't be infinite because we can't make yeah. infinite things and et cetera, et cetera. Is it the color scheme? No, because if you, even if you remove the colors, they're still pretty. And so uh, there's a discussion of that. And then there's a discussion of why does the physical universe have fractals in it as well? Mm. Because, men, you know, mathematics is is all about the relationship between numbers Numbers are a concept of quantity, which means numbers exist in your brain. They exist in your mind. Mm-hmm. You think numbers. You can't you can't grab a number. Right, like a pen. <laughs> or or yeah. stub your toe on one. Right. They're an abstract concept. And yet, the physical universe somehow knows about them and obeys them because uh, most physical laws are mathematical in nature. Mm-hmm. E equals mc squared, f equals ma, and so on. And so why is it that the universe obeys math? There's a discussion on that. And I would argue it's the Christian worldview that makes sense of that, because the mind that's responsible for mathematics is the same mind that's responsible for upholding the universe, namely the mind of God. Yeah. And I claim there's no secular explanation for that. So I hope right. that that uh, any um, unbelievers who are out there and say, I'm not convinced of Christianity, I'm not even convinced there's a God, I hope you'll read the book and at the very least enjoy the beauty of it Absolutely. and think through some of these issues. I think it'll be right. challenging. Right. Do you to, and, and hopefully you'll you'll come to the same conclusion that I did that uh, only the biblical God can make sense of this. Yeah, and He's the only God that can that can save us. Yeah, anyway. and kudos to you for. I mean, you read a lot of books. I mean, I I love astronomy and cosmology, and I read a lot of books that are very technical, of course. Um, and some of the technical 
because I'm not in that realm, but you do an excellent job of of uh, dispelling mathematical phobia that most lay people, a lot of lay people struggle with. You know, the math, you break it down very simply. Uh, it's you don't need a degree in algebra or you know higher calculus you don't you don't have to have a supercomputer it's all been done for you and uh, just a wonderful presentation of if if anything if you have anybody out there I would recommend this book for anyone who that you know of has a fear of mathematics (laughs) this is one this is one thing that an introduction to math that, that should give I mean to me you know, kids can read this. You've done a great job in being able to, to bridge that audience gap where you have, you know, kids, families, Thank adults. Uh, this would be great for, for curious kids who love mathematics and, and love, you know, science and things. This is going to be a wonderful uh, open up the mind and the imaginations. This is one of those books that a child can get and go, you know, I got that book by Jason Lyle and man, I wanted to be an astronomer or a mathematician because those Mandelbrot sets. I mean, that's how it happens, right? Werner von Braun was a was a kid when he read rocket science books. I don't know how old he was, but that's, <laughs> we went to the moon because this little child got a book that made him interested in, in this particular subject. So you have one of those books, Jason. I think this is... Uh, it's going to plant seeds and do things for the kingdom that, uh, you know, as a, as a fellow author, I know sometimes you get to see what your book does. Sometimes uh, you'll never know how your book uh, will, will help people. But uh, I hope uh, we can help you get this out there and, and show more people uh, uh, what's going on. And, and thank you for your, your kingdom labors and what you do in the field of astronomy for, for the church. And uh, we need to have you back on to talk about uh, my friend Wayne and I were discussing. We would love to have you back on to talk about uh uh, the the light issue in astronomy, yeah. and you're, I know okay. you're working on some uh, some paradigms for uh, the light uh, distance issue um, in in your field, and, and that's fascinating because that is a, a paradox right now for for everybody. You know, um, how far out uh, does 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 light distance go? It works in our neighborhood. Does it work work out there in the same way? Is it two two ways? Uh, you know, it's a fascinating thing, and we'd love to have pick your brain on that at, at some future point. So, sure, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, concluding thoughts, Doctor Lyle, and uh, we'll wrap up here. Yeah, uh, I guess the, the 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 main point is there's a new universe that you probably have never heard about that you can explore. It's unbelievably beautiful. It only makes sense in the Christian worldview. Um, there's the book. Yeah, I, I got. I brought my copy here too, just in case I needed to refer to it. But it is. The, the, I mean, it is. It it's is absolutely gorgeous. It's, it's meant to be kind of a coffee table style book. A lot of yeah. pictures. Yeah. Some text, but even you know, even behind the text, we've got little fractals and things. So it's it's a very attractive book, and I would argue the artwork in there only makes sense in light of the biblical God. I have had students who have heard my presentation on this topic who've come to me and said, I used to hate math, but boy, now I see it's beautiful. That, so if you have if you have a, a youngster who's a little math phobic, yeah. I'm not making any promises, but it might open the door a little bit. That's right. Um, there is a gospel message in it. So I, I'm hoping that people read the book, be convinced that yes, indeed, the Christian worldview makes sense. And I need to repent of my sins and, and trust in Christ as my savior. Uh, it's the only it's the only logical possibility mm-hmm. and that's something mm-hmm. that I argue in the in the book that's what Jesus says when he comes you know uh, repent the kingdom of the heavens is, is at hand you know that the repentance was the the cry of John the Baptist and that's just turning to Christ and so your book helps us to turn to Jesus it's not just one thing you do at, at the altar at church 20 years ago it's something that you we daily do is just just like planets turn just like the orbits of planets and the rotational axis the the axial rotations of planets they're always turning from darkness to light and, and that's our model as well that we're constantly turning back to christ and and i think your book 
He's going to turn people, even Christians, we all need to turn to Jesus and remember what Jesus has said. And uh, we need these doses of beauty, I think, to, to remind us of God's beauty and his infinite thoughts towards us and his love towards us and his faithfulness towards us. So thank you, Dr. Lyle. Appreciate your work and blessings on your future endeavors. Thanks. Appreciate it.